This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's going on? New episode of Pintar for breakfast today, and not really anything going on. Not a lot of news in the baseball world. Hope everyone's staying safe. So today, I'm going to call on a... A friend of mine, someone that called a bunch of my games back in 2010, one that I've stayed really close with, Philadelphia native, Mark Gubaza, right here on Pintar for Breakfast, coming up next. What up? And welcome to another episode of Pie Tar for Breakfast. I'm your host, Kevin Franzen, at Kevin Franzen on Twitter. A lot of good things going on as far as people staying in and sending out videos. We're seeing commentators commentating on all that stuff. Look, it's time for interaction. It's time for whatever's need, whatever you're needing right now, other than the actual sport. Maybe we can answer right here on Pine Tar for Breakfast. Why don't you hit me up on Twitter, at Kevin Franzen, and we can get a good conversation going. But first, I think I need to make a call right now. And it's a uh, a guy that I really enjoy being around. Uh, In 2010, when I was with the Anaheim Angels, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, 14-year big leaguer, 13 of them with the Royals, and one of them with Anaheim, not even California, not even with Los Angeles, Angels of Anaheim, Anaheim Angels. <laughs> Philly Zone, William Penn Charter School own Mark Gubiza. Gooby, what's up? Kevin, what's going on? Can I, can I even still call you Cool Breeze? Because you'll always be Cool Breeze to me, man. I mean, that that is one of my favorite <laughs> nicknames I've ever had because usually uh, – that year with Soch um, in Anaheim, he uh, he dropped an f bomb with uh, nuts afterwards. So f nuts, that was my nickname from yeah. him. So I, I much much more prefer the the uh, cool breeze. How'd that yeah. come up? I don't you know, just because we, I remember we just used to see there. Yeah, Victor Rojas and I would see you. I said, "Hey, man, this guy is so cool." So we just said, "Hey, he's he's this cool breeze when he walks by us." So that's how you. Uh, Got the name, and to this day, we both call it every time. I say, hey, I talked to Kevin today. He goes, oh, Cool Breeze? I said, yeah, Cool Breeze. He's doing well. <laughs> well, it's been – it's amazing. The fact that, like, look, it was it was one year I was in Anaheim and had a blast playing for the Angels. And, and look, it, a lot of it is very reminiscent of what I had with the Phillies and just the organization itself and people around it. The people that you, you bond with, uh, I, I think, says so much. And so – with you and Victor and, and I mean, you can talk about the coaching staff and, and being able to talk to, uh, you know, trainers and Smitty and, and all these guys and still be a part of your life means that the organization and in that self, that time meant a lot. So I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, how it is Kev, uh, when you're around good people, you, you just can't wait to get to work. You can't wait to, you know, wait to get up and start working your research for a game. 
get in there to say hello to guys, you still feel like you're part of it. Even though you don't have necessarily the uniform on anymore, you're still part of that one big family trying to, you know, put together a great broadcast, whether it's on the radio side or TV side, because there's so many passionate baseball fans, not only in the Philly area, obviously, and believe me, I never missed a game growing up, whether I was listening on the radio or watching TV at the schoolyard back home in Philly, that I never missed anything. Same thing out here in California now with, you have so many really good teams. You got the Padres, you got the Dodgers and the Angels, you know, so you got so many. And then if you go up the coast a little bit, you got the Giants and the A's. So there's so many great passionate fans for baseball in in regions where we grew up in. So it's kind of fun to be able to be part of it. So when you were growing up, I mean, who was it that you listened to that you drew? Harry Callis and Richie Ashburn. I mean, (laughs) every single day of my life. I mean, it was great. The best, I'll tell you, Kevin, a real quick story. My first year I'm doing, you know, baseball game. It was interleague play. We were in Philly and it was with uh, Roy Marcus who has passed away. And Harry Callis came in and did an inning with us. And I swear I, he was, he was talking to me. Hey, Mark, how are you doing? I'm like, Harry, you don't understand. I, I can't talk right now. <laughs> <laughs> I literally, you know, you know me, I can't stop talking. And he's, he's in there like, Mark, I remember hearing about you at Penn Charter. I'm like, oh, how do you know anything about me, Harry? I wish I would have put on that oh. Philly uniform at one point. I would have been, it would have been a thrill of my lifetime. But just to have him in there for that one inning, I'll never forget as long as I live. I, I that, That's awesome because, like, there's so many times that you get into, uh, you know, situations as a player. You, you face someone or you see someone, you meet someone, you play with someone that you idolize or you grew up, you're like, man, big fan, all this stuff. And then let alone you get to the broadcasting side and those that's the same feeling you get, you know, like, I, I don't know, it, it, just to hear the Harry Callis. I love Harry Callis stories and, you know, w- with Whitey and, and, and everyone could tell, you know, me a new story about Whitey and some of that he and, and uh, uh, Harry would talk about on air. And it's it just puts a smile on your face because you could just yeah, you, I mean- you feel like, you know, the relationship without even hearing it or being around it. Yeah, and you know this feeling right now, I'm sure when people even contact you, whether in person or on social media, you're like part of their family right now. Yeah. And and, and they uh, they reach out to you and like, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? It's the same thing with those two, because literally I'm up there with a, playing stickball in a schoolyard. There's like 15 of us hanging out at a schoolyard up there in the Roxborough area in Philly. And like, lo and behold, I'm, I'm, you know, like switch hit. I'll go up there. I'll be bat on Bake McBride one. The next bat on Manny Trio. Then, <laughs> then when I want to hit a home run, I'm Mike Schmidt or hit a line drive rocket. I'm Greg Lazinski. Or if I'm in the field, I'm Larry Boa or Gary Maddox. The You're great a little taller than Larry. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> 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 oh. Now that's a piece of work. I, I, every time I see him, I literally said, hey, you know, Larry, I was at the game where you hit your only grand slam. We gave you, I, I'm, I'm not lying. He had a standing ovation. I think it felt like for a year. Because first of all, Larry never hit a home run. Larry was going to hit a home run with the bases loaded. I think it was off of Joe Horner. I think former Philly itself when he was at Cincinnati. And I'll never forget that. I'm, I'm we're sitting there going crazy in the stands. We're like, why are we still standing? Why there's not Philly? Larry Bow hit a grand slam. So I always mess around with him every time I see him. That's so good. That is so good. No, so okay, you bring up Manny Trio. I just met him. Uh, not even met him, but I saw him the other, uh, two weeks ago when we announced that we were going to put him on the Wall of Fame uh, in Philadelphia. We saw him down in Clearwater, and I'm going, man, like, this guy, I mean, he's a legend. And so you bring up his name. You bring up Larry Bow. The amount of guys, the amount of ridiculous talent 
and and players like it's all across major league baseball but in certain franchises it's just like you keep on dropping names and you're going oh my god that he was there too and it just like one after the other the phillies were were that yeah and i can't, can't it's funny because everyone goes well who's your favorite philly all time and it, it's easy to go with you know on the pitching side with steve carlton over mike schmidt I always went with Manny Trio because I just loved the way he played. I love the fact when anybody thought about trying to slide in him turn when he was turning a double play, they literally slid on the dirt about 20 feet in front of the bag or just ran to the outfield because he threw from that sidearm angle. Yeah. And he was a former catcher that if you didn't get out of the way, you were wearing that baseball immediately. Plus, he was really good as far as hitting the ball the other way. And he, he was clutching those moments. I, I love watching him play. Well, let me ask you that because part of the game that uh, I miss um, – you know, obviously, when you actually got taken out, sometimes it didn't feel great. But to see the athleticism, right? And, and it brings me back to, like, Manny Trio and, and, and the way he was around second base. I go with Omar Vizquel um, and playing with him, uh, knowing how he set up runners, never got touched, right? He faked like he was going inside. He'd go outside. To see that athleticism, do you miss that? Do you miss Yo, seeing that? that? Yeah, definitely. Especially when I played with Hal, Hal McRae oh. and George Brett. And, you know, you know how, like, sometimes when you know, a hitter would get hit and certain batters would go up to you, hey, we gotta, you got to protect our player. Before I could say, okay, I got you covered, Hal McRae or George Brett goes, don't worry about it because we're in first base. The guy covering the bag at second will realize to tell that pitcher, never hit me again. And, you know, <laughs> Hal was incredible with that roll block at second base. Just ask Willie Randolph about that. But, and George was the same way because George – emulated the way Hal McRae played and it was it's funny how you know how this is when you learn from players especially veteran players that you respected and, and kind of you know they were your idols you kind of carried on to the younger players and they carried on the younger players it keeps going all the way down the line it's like with me in Kansas City you know I learned it from you know from Dennis Leonard and, and George Brett and those guys and I passed it on to Kevin Apier who passed it on to John Lackey who passed it on to Jared Weaver who passed it on to Garrett Richards who passed it on to Tyler Skaggs who passed it on to Andrew Heaney, you know how that is. Oh, yeah. Just the way you, you, you got to play the game. You know, we all, I, I hate to get in the right way. It's just to play the game the way it's a better way to say it should be played. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a, that's part of the thing where I, I, I think um, when you talk about old school, new school, and all that stuff, it doesn't make you old in thinking those thoughts. It's the fact that you played with in, instincts and an instinctual yeah. part of the game has been taken away. And it's just like, that's, that's the right way. Not everything is by the book. And you yeah, and I was watching think off your feet. Yeah, I was watching even this year, you know, you know, during the you know, spring training, the early part of it, watching a lot of the Philly broadcasts because it's on that early in the morning and I'm able to do my workout while watching. And I was just watching what Joe was doing, Girardi. You could see the intangibles coming back where they're, they're doing the little things. And we're seeing that Joe Madden was like that even a short period of time I was in Tempe. You know, we all got into, you know, the home run ball and the three outcomes, the strikeout, the walk, and the home run. And that's – home runs are great and everything else. But he said, you know, when you come to big games and playoff games and World Series, you're not facing guys that are going to give up home runs all the time. You've got to find a way to fight off a pitch, work counts, get in, get on base, and get them home any way you can. And and you're starting to see that swing back. I love the analytic world we're in yeah. as far as baseball, but I also love – bringing it together, kind of melding together. Joe Madden said it best. I love the data, but I love the heart. I'm going to bring it together. See, and I, I agree. And that's what I've always said. Look, it's a part of our game right now. And if you're going to dismiss it, you're dismissing the game. And it, it, it look, it's not, it doesn't have to be 100% in on the whole thing, you know, with the analytics. 
but you better yep. accept a little bit of it because that is a part of our the beauty of our game because it always is morphing into something else. Oh, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, just how much it would have helped you as a player. Same thing with me as a pitcher. You know, when I was first drafted. I threw a lot of four seam fastballs and curveballs. The mm-hmm. minute I got to camp in rookie ball at the Royals, they said you're throwing two seam fastballs and sliders, and I'm like. Whatever they tell me, I'm doing. <laughs> I would have loved to be able to throw a four-seam fastball just to change a little eye level and get a few more pop-ups and strikeouts in the upper part of the strike zone. As you know, as a hitter, I, I'm not striking you out on a fastball at the knees. It's just too hard to make you swing and miss at that pitch all day long. You're yeah. going to put in play. My goal was that you put that ball in play on the ground, and it's going to take three or four hits to score in, in, in an inning. But still, the way everyone started developing their swings now, which is that lower pitch that are lifting in the air, I would have been nice at this moment to be able to throw that four-seam fastball, and you get that data knowing to be able to spin that fastball upper part of the strike zone. See, that would be fun just to go back on. I mean, there's certain things, like for me, um, obviously, you and I have talked about this, and my approach was always up the middle, and you would think the other way. And I always looked at, you know, after, you know, you get into the analytics and you start looking at, well, pull side, up the middle, your average the other way. And I was like a 200 and like, I think it was like a 230 hitter to right. I think it was a 180 hitter up the middle. And I think it was like a 600 hitter on the pull side. And you're going, you know, that probably should have been in the thought process yeah. here and there. Not to pull everything, but to actually like embrace it. Because I never really embraced pulling a baseball. Because it just didn't never, I, I felt like I never was doing anything with it. Right? I mean, I felt like it was a rollover. I, I wasn't doing a lot of damage, but let, let alone I was. Yeah, I mean, I remember, uh, you know, when we were playing the Yankees at one point, Curtis Granderson was there. Remember, he was a guy that can hit the ball to all fields for a oh, while, yeah. but then he goes to the Yankees, and I, I think Kevin Long was their hitting coach, and he was working on a drill with him just specifically pulling the baseball. And you know, Yankee Stadium right now, real good idea to pull the baseball because anything hit in the air that way oh, yeah. is a home run. So, I mean, I was watching the drills and, and see how he was able to get the bat hit through there quicker. And all those little things you, you figure out makes you a much, much better player. But also you got to realize, hey, that same pitcher trying to pull in against you know Max Scherzer oh. in a World Series, eh, pretty much you might not get that chance to do that. So you better be able to spray that ball all over the field. Who are the guys that like, you know, you bring up Max Scherzer, so it just draws me to, you know, pitchers that you look at right now and you just go, my God. Like just you work and you worked – then you would work you work now but you could have worked back then like is there guys that that have that mentality that that look that you just you go at and and i feel like guys of like your nature where you you competed you you brought it i mean shoot you had you know 30 plus starts for year after year after year uh is there someone that 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 you you know just draws your attention more than anything when he when he pitches yeah i mean it's easy always to go with the you know verlanders and in the in the you know, the Kershaw's and, and the Max Scherzer and, and, and Strasburg. But I, I'm going uh, – when I go towards the younger generation, I'm, I love Jack Flaherty, mm. Walker Bueller. Those guys literally, when a, when a manager takes one step out of, the, out of the dugout, they give them that glare like, no, I'm not, I'm not worrying that third time through they're going to make an adjustment on me. I'm, I'm going to get them. And that's, that's, that's something I want to ask you, Kevin, as you know as a hitter. Mm-hmm. And I always – I have arguments with, you know, especially a lot of the new – people in baseball and some of the coaches i'm like all right if you're gonna get me it better be that first or second time because if i'm if i've already figured out how to get you out twice 
there's no way you're getting me out the third time because I don't even care if you know what I'm throwing. Yeah. Because I had the confidence against you, and you don't have it against me. And I even asked Garrett Cole, who's another guy I love watch pitch right now. I asked him the same question. He goes, if I'm a third and fourth time through, I uh, I own that hitter right now because he doesn't know how to get me. He doesn't know how to hit. He can even I can even tell him what I'm throwing, but it doesn't matter because his confidence. And you know, confidence for a hitter is is the most important thing. If you feel good at the, in the batter's box against the pitcher, you're going to do well against. It doesn't matter if it's Nolan Ryan or Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you're confident. But if you're not, even a guy like me will get you out. Yeah. Well, I I agree. I I think that um, there's a lot of about body language too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, from a pitcher side to a hitter side, from a hitter to a pitcher, like you could see someone, you know, the third time through the order, you could see like the okay, so now what do I throw? You could see that thought process going. Mm-hmm. The ones that I always would be like, okay, I'm over two. You know, I might have lined out twice. I got this guy. You look on the mound, and he's just like he's waiting for you. You're going, oh man, seriously? Yeah. Like, <laughs> That, I, you should be thinking, like, I just hit bullets off you today, and instead you're going, yeah, next, please, come on, get in here. Yeah. And, and those are the guys. You read the body language of, of everything. I, I just – I love, like, a guy like Justin Verlander for the reason of he won't show you everything. Mm-hmm. And, and until maybe that third at bat. The first time through the order, I mean, it's just like heaters and 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 changeups, you know, or or whatever it may be. It might be a two pitch mix on the whole thing, and then you get to the next pitch, and then he introduces until like someone. It, it's like the, he just is to prove it, like prove that you can hit this. Yeah, I mean, a guy that you, you probably remember well in the Bay Area, Dave Stewart was like yeah. that. I mean, he was he was ridiculous in the first inning. He's throwing fastballs, and you better have a good, you better get a good swing in early. Because once it gets going, he gets that splitter working. Yeah, no chance. But he was he was saving that good 94, 95, 96 mile an hour fastball in those key moments as the game progresses. Just like Verlander, they were sitting 91, 92, 93 in the first inning. Take your chances. You better get something going early because once he gets through that first and second inning, after that, you have no chance. Well, let me ask you this then, because I I feel like when you when you we talk about the analytics and we understand, you know, certain things about the analytics doesn't mean it's right or wrong. Just it's there. It's information. Um, when it comes to, uh, you know, hitters and pitchers, okay. The, the, the batter pitcher matchup. Are you a believer as a pitcher to go to your strengths or go to the hitters weakness? Oh, you know, that is, you know, okay, that's a great question. I remember, uh, I'm dating myself a little bit, but you probably remember Cecil Cooper was with mm-hmm. Milwaukee and he was an incredibly good low ball hitter. Same thing with Ben Ogilvy, part of those mashers they had with Milwaukee when they were in the America League. And we're going over our scouting reports. He says, hey, these guys are great low ball fastball hitters. So finally, you know, and I was still relatively young at that point. I raised my hand. I said, well, should I not pitch this day? <laughs> that's my that's my bread and butter. They go, no, 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 no. You go and then you you kind of use that to your advantage again. Okay, so I'm I'm facing those guys. So what I did was I kept the ball low. I started right on the outside corner. If I got a swing, I was happy. If I got a take, it's a little bit different. But I, most times because it's a fastball low, they're going it. So then I would go another half a baseball off the corner, and then eventually by the end of the game. I was nearly a baseball and a half to two baseballs off the outside corner, but it was still a fastball. They're still thinking they're hitting the ball good, but they're in that pull mode, so they're hitting a ground ball right to Frank White at second base, and I'm getting through the game. So you got to use my strength against 
even if it means it's the hitter strength at, at that particular moment because you can manipulate it to your advantage if you can get them to swing, especially early in a game or early in the count where they're going to go after because that's what they're looking for. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, because look, it's still the hardest thing to do in a game, in any sport, is to hit a ball with a round bat. A round ball, yeah. round bat. Hardest thing to do. That's moving at, at, at whatever speed it may be. And I I was baffled so many times last year. Well, we're pitching this guy's weakness, you know, last year in Philadelphia. And I'm going, mm-hmm. but that guy doesn't throw that pitch. He's not a four-seam yeah. elevated fastball guy. You know, he's not a – he really is not a curveball guy. So why is he throwing that there? Because well, yeah. the guy can't hit it. Well, what if the guy doesn't throw the pitch? Because part of it – I could talk about hitting all day long, and, and you brought it up earlier, was confidence. Being confident is number one on anything. Well, as a pitcher, uh, you would think that being in the moment, locked in on that one pitch that you agree upon, that's the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah, because we had a couple times last year, I talked to a number of our pitchers, which I do a lot, especially in spring training beginning of the season. I don't go out of my way to give information if they don't want it, but if they come up to me, I usually will do that. So we had a, a couple sinker ball pitchers, for mm-hmm. instance, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm watching their pens, I'm watching pitching in games, and these same guys we brought over the, from other organizations say give up eight home runs in 140 innings. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden now they're being asked to throw four seam fastballs in this upper part of the strike zone. So you might gain a, a tick or so as far as velocity, but you've taken away the movement and you've taken away again the confidence. So you go from a guy getting ground ball to ground ball to ground ball. So, so if you make a mistake and the guy lifts it out of the ballpark on a ball down, so be it. But all of a sudden you change the way you have been in your whole career and you're throwing four-seam fastballs upstairs that are just getting covered. Because you know, and I've seen this in baseball, and I've seen a number of clubs working on it, because of the transition for pitchers pitching upper part of the strike zone, hitters are going right back up there to look in that upper part of the strike zone, which we were always taught not to be at when I was a younger pitcher. And, and now it's like, what you have talked about, down and away fastball. Larry Anderson talks about the down and away fastball. Like, it's open. Like, it is mm-hmm. there because everyone has raised their sights. And the moment you can lock in on that pitch, down and away to any hitter, whether it's righty or lefty, you are golden. Like, you, yeah. I, I really feel like the moment that we want to get back to old school pitching and being able to induce more ground balls, get the ball in play, well, that pitch right there, a well-located fastball down and away, I think is is still the key to anything because if you could do that, oh my god! Yeah, everything's set up. I mean, oh. Jim Palmer. Every time I see Jim Palmer, I go, "Hey Jim, what's what's the best pitch in baseball? Down away fastball." Boom, and he walks away. So it's kind of like an ongoing joke, and I, and I understand because when you talk to the hardcore, you know, analytic people in your organizations, they're all saying that's not a good pitch. That ball is going to be put in play. It comes down to. The baseball put in play is, is pure luck when it's an out. Yeah. But I'm thinking, when you look at how many incredible athletes we have in our game right now, I mean, it, better than at any point I ever played, I'm sure you feel the same way. We have some of the most unbelievably gifted athletes who can cover ground like no one else, yet they're not being utilized. I mean, Anilton Simmons oh. is like a is is such a freak. He He's can cover so much ground. His instincts are off the charts, but we're you don't utilize him when you put it. You know him in a shift. So you have three infielders on one side of the field. Well, you only have to cover like two feet. 
Yeah. But when he's able to go and be in position and still hitters, you know, they are some hitters will still hit right into that chip instead of hitting the other way. But that's another whole nother story. <laughs> but but he's he wants he has himself in position. He's looking around. He's looking in what the sign is going to be. He's looking where pitch is going to be thrown. And he's already moving one way or the other way. Because I, I I sit there when I when I you go back to that body language when I'm doing a game. My whole game is predicated around when I'm guessing before the pitch is thrown on body language, whether it's the pitcher, the hitter, or the fielder, that I think I can have an idea and give it a shot that something's going to happen as soon as that pitch is thrown. I mean, you're, you're not going to be right all the time, but that's what you want to do as a broadcaster is give somebody that you're sitting on the, you know, the edge of your seat. It goes, wait a minute, he's think this pitch is going to come, and here it comes, and then, well, whether it's you know being, being played or not or hit or, or somebody's in position to make a play, that's, you know, that, that comes into play, but – it's all those things about instincts that you've taken away by by not allowing people to be putting himself in position to put those athletic spots they're at. I mean, you bring up Andrelton Simmons, and and he has uh, they wrote about him in in SI like what is it fourteen? Maybe might have been late thirteen. Uh, he was early on in his Braves career. I hit a ball up the middle, and this thing was just off the like just off the label, but just enough where I'm like, okay, that could be a hit. It bounced on the dirt right behind second base and bounced to the left, so his right. And he made this play where he stopped, went back, barehanded it, like off the dirt. And, and, and you're going, how is that possible? And threw me up by like 20 steps anyways. That's besides the point. <laughs> but it was the fact that he made it with such ease and that it didn't bother him. The guy is so ahead of everything. The guys that are, are so prepared, you never see panic. Have you no. ever seen that guy panic on anything? No. And, and it's funny just watching him. If he doesn't make a play, I'm thinking you shouldn't even be worried about making a play. He, he's mad that he didn't make the play. Yeah. I mean, it could be a rocket by him. And I, I've asked him many a time. I said, what do you think is the biggest reason? He goes, because I played soccer. And he still messed around because it's all about the footwork. And that's why I've always been a big proponent for because I've coached high school baseball out here in, in SoCal. Hey, I want you to play other sports. I want you to play basketball. I want you to play soccer. You can play 100%. football. You can play anything because all those other skills you learn from those sports come back to help you out as a baseball player. And you can see his footwork. I mean, it's, it's always moving. He's not sitting back on his heels. He's on his toes. He's moving left to right. He might even be going back. But it's all about the anticipation and the will to make a play on every single ball hit. Whether we joke around, he's almost like uh, the bad news bear guy where anything's hit, it's my ball. I want that baseball, uh, so and it's, it's great. We joke around it. Yes, we joke around it all the time. And literally, he wants everything that – it might be a little different now with Anthony Rendon at third base, oh. but over the last couple of years, we've had some guys playing in different positions, you know, or out of position, really, I should say. So he was covering all kinds of ground. Well, I would love to see, like, just his pie chart, just of, like, what he covers, right? Because it's a joke, like the amount yeah. of area and space that he covers. You You brought it up. But I would love to see the line, like line to line – where are his plays? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we did this one thing a couple of years ago, where a couple even pop ups, where he's playing shading up towards second base, and and it was in Oakland. It might have even been Coco Chris, but he was batting left handed, sort of thinking he's going to try to pull something. The ball was almost by the the bullpen mounds, and somehow we the, our camera guy couldn't even get him in frame. And all of a sudden, you see him slide. I'm like, where did he come from? <laughs> and he came, out of nowhere, it's like it, 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 the ground he covered, it was like 120 feet or something insane where he covered because, it, one, he had his prep step going, and, two, he just, he's, he's relentless going for balls and, and, and how much coverage he has, whether it's in the air or on the ground. is, is I mean, I love, I love home runs. I love strikeouts. That's fun. 
But I still think the greatest thing we get to see on a daily basis, you know this, Kevin, is a great defensive play because you're seeing what allowed that person to make that play. It it doesn't just happen. It's preparation and also your instincts and your athleticism all coming into play on a great defensive play. I couldn't agree more. I I love great instinctual defensive plays. It doesn't – I mean, I love the fact that, like, there's certain guys – you know, like a Simmons, and uh, you know, you could bring up, you know, Jimmy Rollins back in the day. You could bring up Brandon Crawford. You could bring up Brandon Phillips when he was playing second base. It was just mm-hmm. there was some. Yes, they made the incredible play, but they made some incredible plays look so easy because their their thought process was way ahead of everyone else. Like they're ahead of where the catcher was. They're ahead of where the pitcher was thinking. And mm-hmm. it, it just like there's certain things in certain guys that you just you know Omar Vizquel. Same thing. Never got, yeah. never, saw, never seen him take a short hop ever in my life. Everything was a long hop because he played it into that. Because yeah. why? Because he was instinctually there. He could he could see what was off the bat. Everything was so slow. And for those guys, I yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I love it. I, I go nuts on those plays. Yeah, I mean, I, it's so much, I remember, you probably remember guy, uh, Jose Lean, Chico Lean, the way he played second base. He, he had all that great coverage and fearless at second base. I mean, I, I go back to, you know, all the guys I've either played against or with and, and watch now. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible to watch these guys make plays and, and, and cover the ground in an era where a lot of times you're seeing a guy pulling off their hat or looking in their pocket for a placard to tell them where to go. <laughs> so, I mean, you're, but you're still able to do that. Cause I, I always thought once you look at that placard, yeah, you might know where the guy's going to potentially hit the ball on a certain count. But you've already slowed down your your thought as far as okay, I'm I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, and then I look down and then you you slow yourself down a little bit. That's a I've never heard anyone say it like that, and I I you know thinking about it, going yeah, because there's the the you're gonna assume, and as a baseball player, as a person in life, that you don't you don't want to assume on anything because you know what that makes you, and uh, yeah, <laughs> it just for me, that, I, I that I'm that on the daily wow. basis, by the way. What's that? <laughs> That's me on the daily basis. Yeah, you're gonna say yeah. <laughs> No, and it's like it's so true though. Like the moment they go there, they're kind. Of, that is, in their for certain guys, it's definitive. Well, it's going to happen mm-hmm. this way, and it's yeah, we, not. So you yeah, we had a game, Kev. We had a game this year. We we're playing the Cardinals and Dakota Hudson. I'm sure you guys see yep. them a lot more than we do, and he's got some nasty stuff. So he's faced Cole Calhoun his first two at bats. He's, he's struck him out twice on a total of six pitches. So I mean, I'm thinking. Uh, Cole's coming to bat. I think we had a couple guys on base. I'm like, oh, man, I love Cole, but this this probably isn't the guy we wanted to play. So literally the first pitch he threw, ball one. It was just – and Cole almost – it was a check swing, I think. And the next pitch, the same thing. So literally he steps off the back of the of the mound, takes off his hat, looks at a placker, like what to throw to him on a 2-0 count. And you can see – I could uh, we're looking down because I told my directors – Look at his hands. Look at his hands now on the bat. And all of a sudden, you see his hands going like he goes, I got him. Yeah. I got him now. He went from having zero chance. He even swung. Wow. He almost swung at the first pitch. They weren't even close to the plate. So all of a sudden, I got a shot. And, and of course, he comes through. Because you allow that, that yeah. thought process to come into play where I went from zero chance, I can't wait for tomorrow, to, all right. I went from a miserable game, two punch outs on six total pitches, <laughs> So I can drive in a run now. <laughs> That's incredible. Just like if you're that pitcher, like you, and I know you're, you know, Cole Calhoun's on your side, but at that moment, didn't you want to just be like, just take off the headset and just, hey, Dakota, yeah. 
Yeah. Throw, Dude, he's got throwing and then just like just yeah. go there. Yeah, you could you could have you know Yadier just going, I'm just gonna stand back here and I don't even have to give a sign for, yeah. for crying out loud. He's got no chance. Uh, but then I'm telling you, like you know that is whether you're a pitcher or a hitter, that once you allow that 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 positive thought process back into your at bat, you have a shot. I mean, you still might make it out. Trust yeah. me. I mean, it's you mentioned how hard it is to hit a baseball. Look at the greatest athlete we've ever seen in Michael Jordan. He had a tough time hitting a baseball. He didn't have a tough time making a three-point shot in the clutch moments, but hitting a baseball was not that easy for him. I'm glad you bring up Michael Jordan because uh, I want to talk about someone that might be actually um, his equivalent maybe in a few years, and, and hopefully there will be some championships for him to back it up in Mike Trout. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, we've gone we've gone almost 30 minutes here where – um, we haven't even mentioned his name, and you're talking about instinctual. I, I, yeah, has that dude ever looked at a placard? No, no, it, it's it's unbelievable. I, I watch him, you know, because a couple years ago, people said, "Well, his defensive zone ratings and, and his defensive efficiencies aren't aren't real good." And next thing you know, you see him in spring training working nonstop, and he got his arm strength back, and, and all of a sudden he's a, a Gold Glove finalist. The last two seasons, people are saying, "Well, he can't hit the fastball upper part of the strike zone," and I'm like, and Please, I, I, every year I go, I hope somebody says he can't do something because he comes back. And, and the thing is, though, and you know him, he has so much fun. Oh, my God. Every day. He's a kid because we're, we're texting back and forth, you know, all this stuff. Like that, you know, when he hit that golf ball at, at Top Golf or whatever yeah. in Arizona, about 8,000 miles. Yeah. So I'm texting. I have him on any, any time on a driving contest. You could let him know that, too. Oh, I will do that. Yeah. And, and so that chip shot, because I, like I, I sent a couple of these things from my son was messing around doing those things. And he's like a kid. He's like, as soon as somebody challenges him at anything, and he and, and yeah, he's got so many fans out there in the Philly area. You know, we, he took me to the Eagles home opener or season opener after they had won the Super Bowl. Come and, on. And I, I remember going in the sidelines and, and, and Jeffrey Laurie, the owner, showing the you know, Super Bowl ring and, and the players – I, I still think it's the funniest thing in the world. These players are walking out through that tunnel because that's where seats are, and they're ready to go into this incredible battle where some of them may come back and they might not remember where they're at when they walk back through that tunnel. And they're all going, hey, Trouty, what's going on? I'm like, it, it's unreal. That's I mean, it's, awesome. it's incredible because we, we had a game, an off day somehow between Dallas. We were playing down in Arlington. We took a flight from Dallas to Philly, and then we ended up spending the night in Millville and then we went back to the, watch the Eagle game that night. And I was like, that was like the coolest thing I've ever been. Because as a diehard Eagle fan, Philly fan, all the way through my whole life, I'm thinking, you know what? I don't know if I'm ever going to be around and see the Eagles ever win a Super Bowl. And to see that, and we were texting back and forth because he was flying out to Minnesota for the Super Bowl. And he was sending me pictures and stuff of what's going on there. He goes, hey, man, this is like a home game in, in Minnesota for this Super Bowl against the Patriots. And even at, even at that last pass oh, thrown by Brady, we're sitting there going, Oh God! Please, please hit the ground! Please hit the ground! <laughs> you know, it's probably engraved in you now in Philly that you expected that ball to somehow oh, yeah. end up in Bronx's hand, and they'll go for the two-point conversion, make it, and then they'll win the coin flip, and then they lose. But I was like, oh man, that was the greatest thing ever. Do you think that part of uh, of you and Mike's relationship uh, bases the fact that you from the same area, like relatively the same area, Philadelphia, Millville, uh, not too far yeah. apart? I mean, it, it's that that correlation that. He gives you that nod, like, yeah, I know. Yeah, we know. We know. Yeah. Oh, we, 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 it's every day they'll come in and go, what do you think? What do you think about the draft? 
You know, we will, we'll talk about the we'll talk about the Flyers. Even we'll talk about the Sixers. This was the you know, year to do the process. It. Yeah, all day long because you know it is with him. I'm sure it's the same thing with like say Bryce. They don't want to talk about themselves. They mm-hmm. want to talk about the other things that make it fun. You know, it, it means the other sports teams. Uh, we're part of our whole existence is is a, is a Philly, you know, kid is our sports teams. And Trout's no different. Even though he's he's arguably one of the greatest, if not the greatest player we've ever seen, playing in Anaheim and Los Angeles, that he's still a Philly kid at heart as far as all his sports and how passionate he is for all that. Yeah, see, like it, it's guys like yourself um, and, and Mike, it, you know, when you go to the Philly area, um, I know there's a lot of, you know, guys from the area that, that play and, and everything, but it's the fandom you guys have of those teams and you're, you know, Mike's in, in Anaheim and loves his Philly sports. Doesn't it, you know, he could go to a game somewhere else and do it as his, but his whole existence is about the Philly sports yourself included all about the Philly sports. For me, it's the Bay area sports and that's who I am, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, you know, people go like, what? Oh, you're all, you know, a Philly, Philly sports fan. I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm getting there. I am not all Philly sports fans because I feel like there is time that it takes for you as a individual to get into franchises and yeah. those fan bases to accept you. You can't just say like, well, I'm a fan, you know, because I'm here now. Like I'm not a fan of, of players that go from team to team. And now that whatever their, the major sport is that time, that's who they're the fan of. Like, I, I just can't stand that. Like love who you are. And at yeah. some point, you know, the Philly fan base will, will bring you in, whether it's the, the Phillies, whether it's the Eagles, the Sixers, or the Flyers. I, I just feel like they're, they're not going to just say, yeah, yeah, you're cool. Like, you got you to gotta put in your time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, correct me if I'm wrong here, Kevin. If you you go been around the whole country, mm-hmm. when I always think of the Bay Area, I mm-hmm. think they're pretty close as far as the way they are about their sports team as Philly is. I mean, I, I, I think the Giants in that run they had was unreal. I look at Oakland. Granted, it's not an easy place to go watch a game. Those fans are so passionate. It could be five thousand. It could be fifteen thousand. Yeah, they love their team. I've been over a bunch of games, and you know, over the years when the Golden State was there at right there at the Oracle State uh, Arena, and watching Steph and all those guys go. I mean, I, there's a passion there. The same thing with the Sharks. The, the teams up there and, and the Niners, of course, same yeah. way. Sorry about your Niners, by the way, against hey, the Chiefs, easy, but that's easy. another story. Right yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. Come and on, the, and the Raiders with the same thing. I mean. People went to the Raider games knowing they're moving to Vegas yeah. for crying out loud. I mean, so I, I think it's a very – because I think there's a lot of similarities between the way, you know, they, they love their sports team. They're tough. They're they're kind of, for the most part, a blue-collar fans there. They, they they live through their sports teams. And 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 I always find there's nothing wrong with that, whether you're in the Bay Area or certainly in, in the Philly area. you got to love your teams. Well, I, I agree to an extent. Um, the Philly area here, here's where I would say the Warriors would, the Warrior fan base would fit in perfectly in Philadelphia Mm -hmm. because when they were terrible for 17 plus years, they were packing that place and they were bringing energy. Like you would never, like you would, you go back, you know, 15 years ago and you would just laugh because you're going, wait, I thought they're terrible. They were but the fan base was there, and it was just like a, a, you know, each time. They're the one. You know, the Giant fan base is, is a good fan base. Not a, I don't say it's a great fan base because we saw a new, uh, new surge in, yeah. in 2010. Um, 
and I feel like when you go to the Phillies, like there's the there's the Phillies fans, and then there's the people that are waiting. They're like, look, show me. That's the show me fan. It's not like we're the the Bay Area. You have so many transplants. You're going, yeah. When they're good, I'll go to the games. That's not yeah. that's not what the the Phillies fans that are the show me ones. They're just like, show me you're going to play hard. Show me you're going to do this. Well, you say you're going to go and spend your money. Show me, and then they're going to go. And it's yeah. like, I, that's that's a, a huge difference. I feel like because the passion is twenty four seven. 365 yeah. and in this year 366 thank god 2020 had a, a, an extra day you know <laughs> My god. yeah it was funny because back even in the early 70s before they started to turn around they had all those great teams where schmitty and boa yeah. and booney and all those guys and, and the bowl were all getting you know better and better but the early 70s i remember going to a game and i'll never forget this and they were giving away a jerry martin bat and I, I remember taking that back to the schoolyard because eventually we were teammates for a short period of time in 83 with the Royals. And I was telling that same story. But, man, there were some lean times there as a, as a Philly fan. There were some really, really lean times as an Eagle fan there, too, until Dick Vermeil came aboard yeah. there. And it was the same the, yeah, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, but the, even the Sixers, we, they, we still have the, the worst all-time record, I think, in an 82-game schedule. What were we, 9-73 and 73 yep. that one year? I think Fred Carter was I just on think that team. The Warriors did seventy three and nine one year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then, believe me, I remember that one well. Oh, I said, "Oh, that's incredible." Because it you didn't think end about well. That. Yeah, <laughs> it it should have it should have you know that well, okay we that I still think they were the best team. They should have won that. There was a couple little things here and there. It went there against them. But well, they, uh, here's the thing: they're, they're so good. they're so good though. Isn't it? Isn't it the beauty of it though? They go seventy three and nine. And people want to bitch about it because they didn't win the, the title that year. They're like, oh, they weren't the best team. It's like, no, they weren't in the end of the whole thing. But the greatness of it, they might have – they didn't suit up everyone in four or five games. I think that's what it was. They literally mm-hmm. went out there 77 games that year and put it on the line. Like just said – so basically they were 73 and four, full squad. Yeah. And I'm going, that's nuts. How do you not appreciate that as a fan? Because they didn't win the title, they went out yeah. and gave it to you every game. And I, that, that that's the, still the one thing that I always am enamored by, with that with that seventy three and nine team for the Warriors, was yeah. that they oh, yeah. brought it for the fans every night. Yeah, they did. I mean, if Draymond doesn't get kicked out of a game there, maybe yeah, that but whole then thing LeBron is and Kyrie were ridiculous, and that, that's yeah. the other part. It like kind of it throws the shade on them. They were superhuman in the last two games. Yeah. Yeah, um, we were uh, we were playing the A's right at that point. Yeah. So we're 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 taking off, and I'm like, please, I hope our bu- bus breaks down so we can stay around <laughs> and watch this game. <laughs> I'm saying, please. I mean, the energy in that arena, it's you, know, you look at it, it's not the, the prettiest arena from the outside, but when you go inside, because again, you, you mentioned that you could put that place right in Philly, and they've had the same kind of passionate fans going because it was the energy there. I mean, they were into every single. You know, even practice layup before the game started, which is always fun. All right, we got to we got to go back to uh, baseball because you know people are gonna you know want to hear about certain <laughs> things. Um, and the one person I think that the entire Philly fan base and uh, franchise and team players are loving is out of out of the uh, NL East is Anthony Rendon, and you got a chance to to spend some time with him. The addition of him. The subtraction from him from the Nationals is huge, but uh, what have you seen from my uh, my buddy who I, I absolutely hate? He's just a, a terrible. Human 
But by, by the way, I, I use your name every time I talk to him, and he immediately starts laughing. And uh, you know, I've 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 played with a lot of great players and some Hall of Fame players, but but this this kid is ridiculous. I mean, he is literally the most mellow human being. Yeah. I would almost want to take his blood pressure to see if he's actually with us at that moment. But he works so hard. Even when I watch his, I see. I love watching hitters during their you know their batting practice session. What they do that first round, the second, third, and fourth. And then immediately when he's done that, after he does the whole process, he's out there fielding ground ball after ground ball after ground ball, and it's all work. It's not like he's joking around. He's all work, but he always he has fun with the guys. He's always smiling. And I, and I, I even asked him that one. I said, hey, what we, hey, that was a pretty good pitch Kershaw threw against you last year. He goes, no, it wasn't. That was a, that was a flat slider. Because, you know, a lot of times on TV, a break of ball looks a lot better yeah. than it really is in the batter's box. He goes, no, it was flat. Yeah. Like that's Kershaw. You basically won the World Series with that swing because then Soto comes up and hits a massive bomb after that, and then Howie hits the grand slam later on. But his, I just love the fact that so many. I mean, great players just know how to stop or slow the game down, and he's he's one of those guys. And I, I kept saying during the season, I said, you know what, Cody Bellinger's having a great year. Christian Yelich is having a great year. I want Anthony Rendon, and I, I had no idea. I would have bet anything in the world he wasn't going to the Angels that I thought he was his name should be in that conversation for MVP. I mean, I mean Bryce is gone, he's going to the Fightings and he's basically carrying this club and yet he's in the same demeanor and you know him better than I do because I haven't got a chance to really forge a real good uh, lasting relationship yet. But I mean, he's like, man, I'm fine. I go and then we're joking around. I said, well, who's the best one two punch in sports? Is it, you know, I joked around, is it? Is it Westbrook and Harding? He goes, no, it's me and Trout. <laughs> Without hesitation. I'm like, are you kidding me? This and he said it laughing, cool. too. Like, there's, yeah. he's always going to say something and be like, yeah, <laughs> like, no yeah. big deal. Yeah. And then I, I, when I watched it, because, you know, Trout, you go back to him, he observed, you know, when he first came out with Torrey Hunt and then it's Albert Pouls. And I see him working his way around the Rendon and, and watching what he's doing. Well, I mean, his first at bat, I think, his spring training, of course, he got an RBI single or something. Like I said, this dude's ridiculous. It's a right field. I, mean, I know it doesn't count, but it also counts when your guys, like a future Hall of Famer and Albert Pools and the best player in the world watching you and seeing what you're doing because they're observing what he was trying to do. He hit the ball to the right field and yeah. won at bat, too, for an RBI hit. I'm like, this guy is, is what he should be as a baseball player. Now, it, it's so it's kind of sickening, cause, and, I'm, and I'm pumped for you because you get Trout, and you know my feelings on that guy. Um, that guy's the the best we've seen since Willie Mays, and I, I everyone always brings up oh Mickey Mantle and all that stuff. I was like no 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 no. Every story I ever heard about Willie Mays from my dad or my grandfather is matches up perfectly with with Mike Trout. Well then mm-hmm. who is Anthony Rendon? And and I and look, I don't care to ever really compare guys, and I don't really look at it. I just look at him as being one of the most special people players that you're gonna find because. It's not flashy, but if you really watch, it is the flashiest thing because he is doing things like he's got the quickest hands. Mm-hmm. Nothing is ever, you know, if he gets fooled on one pitch, he's not going to do He's not going to make a mistake on the, on the next pitch. You know, the, when we were talking about Cole Calhoun and chasing, you know, six straight balls from Dakota Hudson, you don't get that with Anthony Rendon. And I, I just, to think that he and Mike Trout together, like that, that it just—it's stupid. That's not yeah, right. I know. No, and then you throw in Shohei Otani, who's but, oh. but, but the way the season is set up right now, he's not going to 
he'll be ready to go starting pitching once the season hopefully gets underway at some point. So, and then, and Albert Pujols being around, and you mentioned Anderson Sim. It's, it's a bunch of really good players. Hey, do you think like a comparison with Rendon? When I know you only could do this, like a Scotty Rollin, Scotty Rollin, the way he played the game at third base for the Fightins. You think that would be a good one? Or I know Schmitty was more of a. You know, he was ridiculous. Well, you know, he's he's got okay. So favorite. what's weird is he's got he's got power of, um, you know, a Scott Rowland. I'm not gonna say a, a power of, of Michael Jack Schmidt. We know that. Yeah. Uh, but he's got like the back control of Placido Polanco mm-hmm. with Scott Rowland, and then the, the Scott Rowland power. And I like honestly, I don't think there's really a comparison as far as defensive play. Because he does, he's so athletic over there. He he plays it with such ease, and he just flips it over there from third base. He's not over the top; it's straight underhand. I I, I could not tell you who he reminds me of defensively. Mm. But there's a mixture of so many things. The one thing that I feel like that gets uh, underplayed with him is he's sneaky fast, but he is instinctually like what we've going right back onto what we. Uh, pretty much talked about the entire time is the instincts his instincts running are insane like yeah. he never gets thrown out going an extra base and it, it, it's just like first to third he, it's, he, don't even worry about it he's safe yeah there, there's certain things like the larry walker when he goes in uh to the hall of fame this year uh for me i think number one every guy that talked about larry walker always talked about his instincts running the bases and i feel like I talk about Anthony Rendon running the bases because the, it, it's not about speed. It was just the way he did it and never, ever being close at, at any of those bases to being out. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, that's, that's I, you know, I, 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 and we all want everything to get better in, in, in the world, in our country, but I, I can't wait to see those guys play. I mean, it's going to be, and I, I, I think, you know, even if we're being optimistic about the season, how many games, I have no problem if we play 100, 120 games because I think it. The old saying is, and I've said this a couple times to people recently. Baseball was always it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. But if you make it a hundred oh. or one hundred twenty yeah. game schedule, it is a sprint. Oh my! And gosh. every game, every at bat becomes crazy. And I think you don't ideally you don't want this happening. But I think there's no way you can try to squeeze in. 162 game schedule and start playing in, in December in a bunch of places. And then because the minute, you know, you'll be right back in spring training in February. Yeah. So I, I, I think a shortened season, we did, we went through that in 95. It wasn't quite a hundred games. It was less, it was like one one fifty, I think it was, by the way, Albert Bell was insane that year. Yeah. 50 doubles, 50 home <laughs> It didn't win the MVP, but that's did another subject. MVP. Yeah. Mo Vaughn ended up winning that year. He was a great player too, but Albert Bell if he had stayed healthy, that's a Hall of Famer, in my opinion. And if you ask a pitcher, he's still a Hall of Famer, even for that short period of time. But I think that that the idea of the sprint of a shortened baseball season will bring in another fan base that we haven't seen in a long time. Because all of a sudden, you know, the old, like, well, you're going to lose 62 games or you're going to lose 60, you're going to win 60. It's those other whatever 160 games, whatever 40 games determines if you're you know, a playoff team or not. All of a sudden, when everyone's on that same equal – footing of about a hundred game 120 game schedule man i'll tell you what it is going to be hectic yeah and I'm, I'm excited to know or 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 feel or believe that there's going to be a season and i don't care how many games there are as long as we have it really yeah that's the fact and you bring up the sprint and i'm going 
it's gonna be intense yeah i mean can you imagine now we're uh you know every every bat you're up there and you're thinking okay i can you know this isn't bad this could be a huge game this could be your the fifth game of the year well you know what you don't have 157 more games you only have 95 more games to go so every bat every pitch every play you make or don't make in the field becomes magnified it would be it's great for us as broadcasters because Boy, I mean, we, I, I, you're, I know I've listened to you. You're the same way. Every game is like the coolest thing yes. in, in the world to do. Absolutely. So all of a sudden, now you add that in there, where even the even the guys that kind of go, oh, well, there's a lot of games. No, there ain't a lot of games. There's a, no. a, a lot less, and every game means something. Because whoever, you know, if, if we do play this season, when you win that World Series, nobody will remember it was a 100-game schedule or 120. You're the world champion of baseball, as Harry would say. Just to hear his voice to do that would be amazing. But <laughs> I had that on my ring. I had that on my ringtone, but for oh. years and everybody, everyone, will you please change that? I, I I couldn't for a long time. That's so good. That's so good. So it, my motto for MLB, or even if you know teams want to use it, is it, it it should be like the granted season. Don't don't take this for granted. If yeah. we get this and the opportunity, it's like as a fan, just in, please enjoy it because you know everyone's been through a lot. And it, it, and whether you're, you've, you know, been sick or you're not sick, but you've, you know, financially taken a burden, you've lost a job for those, hopefully that these games that, that may happen, I hope, hopefully they do happen. They give you that break, that release for a little bit. So don't take it for granted. Yeah. I mean, look at how many games we're watching now on whether it's our, our own networks or MLB network past games and, yeah. and you're still into it. I'm like, and you already know the results. Yeah. That's the thing. It's crazy. You already know it, but you still, because at that moment you can kind of go back and go, Hey, things are okay for this couple hours that day. And then, you know, then reality comes right back at you and it's very, very tough. And so many people are sacrificing so much for us in, in, in the world that uh, you get a little bit of a breather when you're watching a sporting event. Oh yeah. All right, Gooey. So before I let you go, um, since it is pine tar for breakfast podcast, we play waffle or not. Do you want to play? <laughs> yeah. So in this case, being a pitcher, remember we're still friends, right? Yeah. It's either yeah. you got waffled or you didn't by yeah. a certain player. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. So what I love about this is, is there's usually stories that come out of it. There's, there's thoughts and usually the accuracy by guys is pretty amazing. And people don't realize how, you know, baseball players, it doesn't matter, pitcher, hitter, whatever, coach, manager, you remember. You remember mm-hmm. everything. Yep. And so I'm going to put you to the test. Yes. All right. Let's start out with number one here. Ricky Henderson. Uh, you know, I, I got him pretty good. He did hit a, a leadoff home run against me, but overall my numbers were pretty good against Ricky. He had a couple stolen bases, but I feel pretty good. Since he's a Hall of Famer, my overall stats against him. Yeah, 16 for 70. Uh, he had a 682 OPS against him. He did not waffle you. That no. is odd. Like, there, there, there's some things I'm going to bring up here that I, I, I absolutely love. Uh, Wade Boggs. Uh, yeah, waffled. Yeah, waffled yeah, me. He did. And even at home run against you, which he wasn't a big home run guy. <laughs> that, uh, he's a good friend, too. So, I, it, I, you know, yeah, he waffled me. Okay, I, so. Ownage, big time. There, there's ownage, uh, but the ownage part too goes in the walk and strikeout column because 17 walks and three strikeouts. <laughs> you know what? Uh, yeah, 
at one point I said to him, and because I got to know him, and I didn't even care if he liked me or not at this moment, I go, you know what? Instead of me throwing you eight pitches, I'm going to hit you every time I see you. And I remember throwing one time up and in, and he made a loud squeal. So I said, you know what? I feel pretty good about myself. <laughs> <laughs> and he laughed at me. He goes, well, that's another time I'm on base against you. I'm like, I know, I know, but I know you're not going to steal a base, so I'm all right. Oh, it's so good. All right, uh, Don Mattingly. Of ever, any player I've ever faced, you know, waffled. By yeah. every, every hit he had, every home run was incredibly clutch. So that was absolute ownage. And I always joke with him. I said, if you ever get in the Hall of Fame, you better thank me. <laughs> I'm not going to bring up the numbers because, uh, well, you know, 413 average, 1106 OPS. That's all right. Yeah. Yeah, but That's we're still right. friends, though. Yeah, yeah we're, we're still friends. friends. Uh, Tony Phillips. I, you know what? I got him pretty good, as I remember. And he would always scream at me because I'm going to get that changeup. I'm like, by the way, I'm not throwing you a changeup. That's a sinker. <laughs> so I think I got him pretty good. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with a, uh, a cool 158 average against you. He did shoot you twice, but you had a 624 OPS against you. You did not get waffled by him. No. <laughs> um, ooh, I like this one. Jim Rice. Ugh. Oh, that's. A, I know one time before I say, I think I did pretty good against him. Uh, I hit him one time on the handle of the bat. And I was being the idiot that I always am. I'm screaming, that ball didn't hit him. And he screamed a couple you know, nice words back at me. It, the heck it didn't. And with other words, I said, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Rice, take first base because I didn't want him to charge me because I would have been killed. <laughs> So I think I did all right against him. Yeah, you did. Um, let's just say this. Uh, he was a 200 hitter against you. Um, he had one extra base hit, and it was a double. And I'm trying to find that game. It was a hit-by-pitch. Uh, Boggs was on first base, just to let you know. Yeah, so I, I, I was still a triple play away from getting out of that inning. <laughs> yeah, and he had into a bunch of double plays against you, too. Yeah. I remember five that. Of them to be yeah. exact. Yeah. So yeah, Jim Rice five hundred five OPS. He is not a waffler of Marcuza. Uh, here's another one. Let's see if you can. I think you probably know where I'm going to go with this one. <sighs> this is the. This is okay. Here we go. Jose Canseco. <sighs> you know what? I, I think it almost it's. I gave up, I think, four home runs against him, maybe. My God. See, okay, that's all That's all I need to hear. That's all I need yeah. to hear. But a lot of punch outs, though. Oh. I think, so this is why I like to do this game, because now we get to determine if he's a waffle or not guy, because 14 for 56 is 250 average, which is great. Like, that, that's yeah. a, you know, against Jose Canseco and, and all that. Four, four bombs, that's, I mean, that's Jose Canseco. Mm-hmm. But you punched him out 20 times. And I and I wasn't a strikeout guy either, no. so I felt pretty good. And you know, I've had my and we were pretty good friends for a lot of years. I had some battles with him where I actually threw it, you know, you know, because you have to pitch inside against a guy like him because he's so quick with his bat, and his bat speed was insane. By the way, that uh, he well, he barked at me, well. he barked at me a few times, and I actually said, "Hey, man, anytime you want to come out here, come on on out." And I'm thinking. Well, why did I do that? Because I cannot race him, that's for sure. Oh, my God. And his, and his arms are like the size of my thighs. But, you know, I was a nut when I was pitching. I didn't, I didn't care if Dave Winfield threw his bat at me or anything else. That I, I, didn't, I felt that at that moment that nobody could do anything to me when I was on the mound. Now, 
uh, probably wasn't a wise decision, but that's how I survived. Oh, I love it. Okay. If there's one guy that you could say waffled you that is an unknown, that people would be like, no chance. I have no idea who that is. If there's one guy, who would it be? Uh, I think everyone knows Jason Giambi all too well, but he absolutely, I mean, his numbers against me, by the way, dude, were absolutely insane. <laughs> Same thing. And everyone knows Ken Griffey Jr. But uh, eight for 13. Yeah. That, those yeah. are Wafflage. That's a 1797 OPS, Jason Giambi. Yeah, I'll give him that. I know, by the way, Dick Schofield, I think, was 0 for 20 something in his oh, career. Dang it. You're pre- that was my, yeah. that was one yeah. of them. <laughs> and, and Joel Skinner was another one I don't think got a hit against me. And, and Mark McLemore didn't do real well. Because he, see, he did this thing where I know hitters do it all the time to me. Yeah. Uh, you probably did that to pitchers. He goes, man, I never got a hit against you. And I knew he never did, but I'm like, he's going to get me now and then next that next day when i faced him he got a hit i'm like i hate your guts i hate you because we're always we see each other down there in arlington all the time because he does stuff for the rangers but uh man i'm trying to think of a guy that owned me that uh some people would not know uh man a guy uh gomez for the baltimore Orioles. Mm. i want to say i know he had a, i know he had a home run off me i forget yeah, but his first. that's not the person what if yeah. i said max venable Oh yeah, he had a grand slam against me. He was five for five against you. Yeah, and a grand slam—that's the killer for me because I didn't give up a lot of home runs, and I remember I wanted to chew my arm off when I gave it up. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and uh, but it was funny because I always asked Palmer this story, Jim Palmer. He he never gave up a grand slam in his entire career. I mean, that's insane. Really? Yeah, never. So and it, you know, and he was my—he's the first autograph, really. Other than Robin Roberts is the first autograph I ever got. He opened up our little league back in, in Roxborough. So I still have that baseball. As a matter of fact, it's still pretty good. The second autograph I have is from Jim Palmer because we're represented by the same agent. So you know, I always talked about that. I got—I said I got rid of my grand slam right away my first year when Dave Kingman got me in in Oakland with a grand slam and Max Venerable. I know uh, uh, Chuck Knobloch hit a grand slam against me as well. So I gave up a few of those. Yeah, but. Uh... You know, when you, you go 132 wins in your career, you could say you pitched to a lot of people and it's going to happen. So just yeah, you know, say that. Kevin, one, it was funny to think because during this time, but everyone has so much free time. So a couple people had, you know, sent me this thing and I felt pretty good about this because I, you know, I had my ups and downs in my career and some injuries and this and that. But I faced, I, I forget how many Hall of Famers, you know, the guys most recent probably like 25, whatever. They're, 250 for a thousand against me, which is a 250 batting yep. average. So, Hall of Fame, that's pretty good with only 16 home runs allowed and a thousand at bats. For all those Hall of Famers that I faced, I think, you know what? That was pretty good, especially with Jeter going in there because I faced him, believe it or not, in my career. I think it was like 0 for 3 or whatever it was. So Jim Tomei, yeah. 0 for 4. Yeah. Andre Dawson, 2 for 7. Joe Morgan, 1 for 4. I mean, that's the stuff that, like, my last one I was going to bring up to you. Was a uh, is a Hall of Famer because I'm looking at the Hall of Fame numbers too, and I I because I I find it fascinating when people you know have the ability to face all these guys like yourself, and it's not like a couple of bats, right? It's like at least fifteen plus on on most of them. Is Reggie Jackson? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I and and because he grew up in the Philly area, yeah. so and for whatever reason, because George Brett came over me one time in the man, he goes. Why are you throwing so hard to him that you don't even want him to foul the ball off? He goes, you don't understand. This is almost like a turf war for Philly guys going at it. Even though he never played for the Phillies, 
And he kind of, you know, he's a, he ended up being basically, uh, you know, when the Yankees and Oakland for me is always a big thing for him. He played with the Angels as well. But it was like a turf war that I was not going to give up a foul ball against him if I could. And I was really trying to throw the ball as hard as I could. I didn't care where it went as long as I didn't give up a home run against him. And you didn't. What do you think, waffle or not? Uh, I owned him. I love when you say it that. This dude, <laughs> this dude had 463 doubles. He had 49 triples. He had 563 homers. And he didn't do one of those against you in 15 at-bats. 19 plate appearances, 15 at-bats, no extra base hits. 133 average. You owned him. <laughs> uh, you know what, by the way, you know what Joe Morgan, that one for four, whatever, the last hit he ever got in the major leagues was against me. It was uh, It doubled the oh. left center field in Oakland. Yes. So and I always we, we last games were against Cleveland. Yes. Which I yeah. still find fascinating because it wasn't like you were with the the Royals when it was your last game. It was with the yeah. with the Angels. I'm like, geez, really? How's that? Yeah, happen? dude. Dude, the funniest story. So my arm was completely shot. So I'm warming up there and it's their home opener. It was freezing, as you know, in Cleveland. And I, I literally warmed up. I threw whatever 50, 60 pitches. I never reached home plate on one pitch. And I'm thinking I, I didn't I didn't want to bail out on my own. I'm like a stupid old boxer. Heck, I, I could still win this. <laughs> so Marcel laughs at me. He goes, "Hey, you ready?" I said, "Yeah, I'm ready." So I go out to the, I go out to the mound and I struck out. I want to say two of the three batters in the first inning. I'm thinking, "How am I doing that?" So then somehow I drag my old butt back out there for the second inning. I think I gave up about 11 straight hits, seven runs or whatever it was. And 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 Terry Collins comes out. He goes, "Hey, how you feeling?" I go, "Well." I'm just happy not any of these line drives hit me right in the face at this moment. <laughs> Other than that, I'm doing good. Oh <laughs> and then God. I walked off the mound. I said, you know what? I know I'm done. And that was the last game I ever pitched. Wow. I mean, you'd love to go out on, on a better term, but I remember like, uh, no, God, but that, you, you know, all those guys were just wearing me out. But I was like, I don't know how I got through the first inning. That's all I know. I don't I have no idea how I got through that first inning. Well, you, you didn't get through that first inning or you didn't get through the, you know, the rest of the day. But look at how many years you've now done uh, uh, TV broadcast for the Angels. So you've done well. You put a good good impression on them. <laughs> yeah, I was so I showed them how to back up a base really well. So. Hey, it's the little <laughs> things that do it. Yes, Gooby, I I could not say thank you more because I I mean I love you. You're the best, and you know coming on Pint Star for breakfast and uh, letting me give you a little bit on the uh, waffle or not. But Reggie Jackson, two for fifteen. Come on, yeah. That's so bad. Yeah, because yeah, like I said, and I, I still I see him. Usually, I try to play in the RBI golf tournament every yeah. year, and 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 you know it because Reggie, the way he is, you know Reggie, he knows if he owns you or he doesn't. So there's always, hey, what's going on, Gooby? How you doing? Like, hey, Reggie, what's going on? I want to have a conversation with him. He's like, okay, you're good, move. I, I I don't own you. I haven't hit a 900 foot home run against you. Just keep going. Oh, I, like, I love it. Yeah, but, I you know, like it. I said, it, the Philly connection all the way through is always going to be something I'm always so happy to be able to, even to, even to say, because I remember playing wiffle ball and with the Oakland days when I was a kid and I was, you know, we had those, all those placards around our, our streets playing wiffle ball. And, and that was when the Reds and the A's and all those teams were so good. You know, I was Reggie at one point. So then next to me, you know, I'm facing Reggie in the game. That was pretty cool. Oh, it's so good. How was your swing compared to his? Uh, you know what? In high <laughs> school, I could hit topic. a little bit. 
I could hit a little bit in high school, but I, I realized they said, you know, my, my swing's pretty long. I said, uh, pitchers would exploit that one pretty quickly. <laughs> well, I, I got to exploit you, you know, pretty, pretty quickly here too. So I appreciate that. Yeah. You are a cool breeze. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Gubiza, you are the man. Thanks for coming on. Kevin, I appreciate it, man. This is a blast. I had a great time, man. You're the best. And there he is, Philly's own Mark Gubiza. Another great episode of Pine Tar for Breakfast. Hit me up at Kevin Franzen on Twitter. Let's have another week of staying safe. Please stay inside. Stay in the backyard. Don't go out. Peace. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.